Amen. Uh, good morning. My name is Jonathan Winfrey, uh, one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer. And occasionally uh, you see me at this time and not walking off as Drew is now. Uh, we are in a series called Galatians Living in Line with the Gospel. Uh, and for the past few weeks, we've seen how Paul in Galatians writes about the gospel and then challenges us to, in light of that, get in line with uh, the, the things that it sets forth for our lives, the dynamics that it sets forth for our lives. This morning, we're coming to chapter three. We're about halfway through with the book of Galatians. Um, and if you feel like, if you've been here the last few weeks, if you feel like you're hearing the same thing every week, it's because you are. Um, and uh, I, I remember uh, worshiping with uh, Trinity over in Lakeland. The first few times, uh, maybe a month or two went, went, went by, and, and, and finally I went to Drew and I said, uh, this guy Tim, he's saying the same thing every week. Um, Drew said, are, are you getting it? I mean, are you understanding? I'm like, no, I, really, I don't really get what he's saying. I mean, I've never... Well, then come back next week. He's going to say the same thing again. You'll have another, another opportunity to get it. Uh, and so there's a reason why we are saying the same thing every week. Uh, Martin Luther said we need to beat the gospel into our heads. Uh, we need to beat it into one another's heads. Uh, and Drew and myself need to beat it into uh, your heads and our heads. Uh, so as we are talking, we are, we are talking to ourselves uh, as well as to those who are listening. Uh, this morning, we are in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10, uh, reading from 10 to 18. If you have a Bible and you want to open there, uh, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in the insert in the worship folder, and it's on the screen behind me. So hear the word of God uh, from Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. From the curse of the law, excuse me, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is the word of God. Uh, as we come to, to Galatians 3 this morning, I just want to give you a, a summary it's on the other side of the insert in the worship folder uh, in terms of an outline. Number one, the curse 
Uh, number two, the one who was cursed. And number three, the results. And there are two results, two rather important results that come out of that. The promise of Abraham, uh, the blessing of Abraham rather, going to the Gentiles, and then the promised spirit. So the curse, the one who was cursed, and then the result from that. So first, let's look at the curse. Uh, I, I want to say a word about the, the orientation that I am, when I'm talking about curse, what I'm referring to, I'm not talking about uh, uh, Harry Potter curses. You know, the expectum patronus or whatever it is. And my daughter's really into that right now. Not cursing people, but Harry Potter. And so we hear a lot of these curses and stuff, you know. And it, it, But nobody ever talks in Harry Potter books about blessing. Um, but I'm not speaking in terms of curse like, you know, wave your wand and, and, and uh, turn someone into a, a, a rat or something. Um, in the Bible, the word curse refers to something that occurs in the context of a covenant. Uh, and a covenant is just a, a, a fancy word that means an agreement that two people have and, and, and they, they agree to abide by stipulations within that covenant. Uh, the, 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 the most well known to any of us would be marriage, right? You stand up, you vow, you say, I'm going to do this. The husband says, I'm going to do this, blah, 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 amen, and then they go. Uh, but if one of them does not abide by the stipulations in the covenant, what happens? Usually separation, tension, brokenness. Um, and the same thing occurs as a result of the curse in the Bible. So when I'm speaking of curse and then later talking about blessing, I'm talking about the context of a covenant relationship. Okay, so just to be clear on that, go back all the way to Genesis chapter three. Drew mentioned this a little bit ago in one of his prayers. The origin of the curse is really all the way back to the third chapter of the Bible. Adam and Eve didn't believe that God's affection or love for them was true. They bought into the the lie from Satan that there was no need to abide by God's stipulations. Make up your own stipulations. I mean, did God really say you can't do that? He doesn't really love you. If he loved you, he'd let you eat from any tree. Make make your own way. And of course, we all know what happened as a result of that. The covenant that God made with Adam, which was obey me and live. Disobey me and die. The covenant was broken. And what followed was a terrible loss of intimacy with God. Remember, they they, they hid from him. They'd never done that before. And ultimately, distance resulted when they were exiled or kicked out of the garden. They were kicked out of the, the, the close, intimate fellowship that they had with God in Eden. That's what Eden represented. That's what, that's what Eden was. They walked with God in the cool of the day. But as a result of their disobedience, they were separated from Him. And now they no longer lived under the smile of God. I want to say we were made for that. Again, earlier in, in his prayer, Drew referred to this. You and I were, uh, as we sang, made to worship. We were made for fellowship with God. That is what home was and is. That's what home feels like. And if, if you've ever experienced homesickness, it, it, it's really that feeling of, I miss the... I miss the familiarity and the closeness and the intimacy of, of being with people that I know, of being able to say whatever I want, of not caring what people think about me, of, of knowing my surroundings, knowing where everything is. I mean, that was Eden. There was an intimacy that existed 
in that place. Adam and Eve enjoyed a pleasure and a security and a flourishing. That, 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 was, that was what home felt like. And, and, and you and I uh, were made for that and the entire human race was made for that. The entire human race is referred to in the Bible, in Genesis 1, as being made in the image of God. And when, when you don't know you're made in the image of God, you don't know what you were created for, you find lots of other things to do instead of that. You find lots of other things to fill your life and your heart with instead of what you were made for. And you and I do it. We know plenty of people that do it, that are trapped in, in, in different systems of doing it, different religions, different worldviews. It's sick. Sin is. God continues to deal with humanity as well as creation in covenant arrangements. And in Genesis 3, uh, verse uh, 15, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, great. Otherwise, I'm just going to read it to you. This is the curse God gives. Verse 14, excuse me. The Lord God said to the serpent in Genesis 3, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So I'm going to curse your womb. It's not going to be easy to have children anymore. Uh, women should be amen. Amening right now. Uh, and to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Curses the ground because of you. And so. God basically covers all the bases right there. There's a curse on creation. There's a curse in relationships. There's a curse uh, for us personally. And there is a great war, a great battle going on. And the Scriptures tell the story of a series of covenants that God established to deal with the curse that resulted all the way back in Genesis 3. Now, because of the curse, Paul says, if you look at our passage, verses 10 to 12, He's very specific. He says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does these things or does them shall live by them. Now, Paul's being very intentional here. In verses 10 and 12, when he talks about relying on the law or living by the law or living by these things, he's using a specific Greek word. It's a Greek word means zoe. Well, that's the Greek word. The Greek word zoe means joy or strength or, or uh, peace, meaning. Your, your zoe, whatever you're Whatever you're relying on or living by is what you are drawing your meaning from. It's what's giving your life definition and purpose. That's the word he's using. So, <clears throat> how do you and I deal with being under the curse? How did Adam and Eve deal with being under the curse? What was the first thing they did? They not only hid, but then what did they do? They sought to cover up their shame. By sowing fig leaves 
together. And it's a great picture, sewing fig leaves together. I mean, come on. How effective is that at covering you? Well, I've seen tribes, pictures of tribes in Papua New Guinea, for example, that do something very similar to that in 2009. And it ain't real effective at covering them up. Okay? I mean, sometimes, you know, you're flipping through, you, you, you see pictures. Oh my goodness, what, what, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're covering themselves. But it's, but it's pathetically ineffective. You and I, and Adam and Eve as well, we're in denial. We're in denial that we are condemned. We're in denial that we're under a curse. And that's why our self-salvation projects are so dangerous. And yet, they're so easy to invent. They're so easy to come up with. We've mentioned some of these in the past weeks. You know, there's, there's well-behaved children righteousness. There's uh, uh, good clothing. I, I look nice. I'm dressed nice righteousness. There's I've shaved this morning righteousness. Uh, there, there, oh, I mean, the list goes on. There's I have a clean car righteousness and my wife doesn't. I mean, there's all these different forms that we, we, we set up to make ourselves look good and, and, and feel good. Every human being lives with guilt and anxiety, always trying harder, always doing more. Work, 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 work. I need to achieve. I need to prove myself. And it creates all sort of neuroses. Now, if you don't think you're neurotic, just turn to your spouse if you're married or somebody who's close to you and ask them, am I neurotic? The truth will come very quickly. I promise. Because you may not think you're that neurotic. Ask somebody close to you. It produces things like uh, a, a, a timid spirit we're not bold. We bristle at criticism. We can't take criticism. We're jealous of others who are better than us. Everything becomes a competition. And you see this in children. They want to play a game. Ultimately, it has to be a game that's a game about winning, about competition. Because I've got to prove myself. Amen, right? That's what it's all about. But the danger here, my friends, is that it feeds our tendency toward self-righteousness. And Paul asks, have we really looked at the whole law? I mean, if we're really going to rely on and get our meaning and definition for our lives from the law, have we looked at the whole thing? Because he says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. So I want you to get this. According to Paul, there's really only two ways to live. You can live by them, which is the works of the law, or you can live by faith. The one is Christianity, the, the other isn't. The other is something else. I, I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. Uh, so I want to ask you a couple of questions, because the bottom line is that being under the curse forces us to ask which category we fall into, to ask questions like, what do I live by? What is my life based on? What if I lost it would make me feel as if I had no life left? I love that question. What if I lost it would make me feel like I had no life left? Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, before I, I met uh, Jamie, my wife, and we got married, I had planned on being a missionary. Wanted to do it. I didn't want to hang out in the godforsaken United States. Who wants to live here anyway? 
So I got to seminary, okay, and I am studying. We got married. We're planning on becoming missionaries, so forth and so on. I'm going through my studies, and every year it would get more and more intense. My pride, that is, my self-righteousness. I'd look around the room, and I'd say, these poor saps are going to go off and pastor some podunk church in some podunk town and not make any difference in the world for God. But I, I am going to leave all that I know and I'm going to move to another place and I'm going to, uh, and, and I'm, I almost said make lots of money. I'm going to raise lots of money uh, so that I can go there to do this and I'm going to come home and people are going to, ooh, and ah, oh, wow, that's so amazing. And your kids can live there? And, and you're so brave and you're so spiritual. And my head is just about to explode. So by the time I'm graduating seminary, my head is this big. It's like one of those gigantic beach ball things. And so uh, we spend a year raising support and we get on the field and the whole thing falls apart. And uh, we ran out of money. And we ended up having to come home after a year out on the field. And I remember coming home and feeling like a complete and total failure as a human being. I, what, what am I going to do now? Oh, I guess I'll teach Latin. Boy, that's sexy. That's, you know, that's, that'll make a difference in the world. Okay. My problem was, and, and the reason I'm telling this story is because we, we all have something or have had something that we have been getting life out of. And for me, it was, it was a spiritual thing. But it wasn't Jesus. It was this thing that I'm aspiring to and want to become. I want to take my family along. And, and wow, people will think so great of me and think I'm so spiritual. And I'm not staying here in this poor, you know, America. Bleh, who wants to live there anyway? Right? I'm going to move somewhere else where they do everything right. And that's where I was drawing my life and my meaning and my existence. That's what I was relying on. And when I came home uh, and feeling like a failure, it was, you feel like a failure. Because that was it for you. What if I lost it would make me feel like I had no life left? That was it for me. That was it. And and over the last few years, uh, God has really shown me the sin in that. And said, you weren't in love with me. You were in love with that thing. And that's where you were drawing your zoe from. That's what you were relying on. Not on me. And so that's the question for us. Are we relying on, are we living by the works of the law, by doing those things, whatever those things are? Or are we living by faith? Well, the good news is that not uh, we, we, there's a curse, but there is one who was cursed. And here comes the good news, verses 13 and 14. Really, verse 13. Why did Jesus become a curse and how did He do it? Those are really the two questions I want to tackle. Why did He become a curse? The simple reason is, or the simple answer, Jesus had to become a curse because God had sworn Himself to that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, God has promised Abraham that he's going to give him offspring like the stars in the sky. And 
through his offspring, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He's made this promise to him. And Abraham says to God, how can I know that your, your word is true? How can I know that what you're saying is going to happen? How can I know that you're a God of your word and that you keep your promise? You and I would have asked the same thing. Easy to look back and say, wow, he was pretty unspiritual. But you and I would have done the same thing. And so what does God say to him? God says, go get animals and cut them in half. And the scriptures say that Abraham just did it. There's no, there's no explanation by the writer of Genesis what, why he did it, why he had to do it, what was involved. Abraham knew. Because in the ancient Near East, if you were going to make an agreement with somebody and make a covenant, you literally cut the covenant. Which means you took the animals, you cut them in half, then you placed them along down this row, and then you and the both parties would pass through and say, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may I be cut in half as these animals. I would love to start doing this with the weddings I do. I think it'd be great. Okay? We're, we're going to, uh, we're going to slaughter some animals. We're going to place them down the row, the center aisle of the church. And you and your husband, after you take your vows or as you're saying them, uh, from death till death do us part in sickness and in health. And as you're, as you're walking through those pieces, this is what you're signifying. But you see, we laugh, but that's how significant that was. That's what a covenant is. But the amazing thing is that God is swearing to keep His end of the covenant because Abraham goes to sleep and a smoking fire pot and blazing torch, whatever that means, passes through the pieces. But Abraham doesn't. And so God is saying, I am swearing to keep my end of the covenant but I'm also swearing to keep your end as well. It's incredible. Abraham's children had not kept the stipulations of the covenant that God had made with them. And because God had promised in the cross of Jesus Christ, He makes good on that promise. Jesus becomes a curse because God had sworn to Abraham, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, that He would keep His end and our end of the bargain. Paul says Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. What, what does that word redeemed mean? Many scholars believe that this idea of redemption in the New Testament came from a practice known as, I am a Latin teacher, so forgive me, redemptio abhostibus. What in the world does that mean? It was a process by which the release and return of prisoners of war to their native lands was was done on payment of the ransom by a fellow citizen. Now we're going to come back to that in just just a minute, but 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 stick with that in terms of redemption. That's what's happening. That's the idea that a, a first century reader would have had of, of of this. So not only why did Jesus become a curse, because God had sworn to it, but how? In becoming a curse, Jesus redeemed us who were under that curse. Hear this. He didn't just take the curse from us. He became the curse for us. And in the Old Testament, uh, Israel did not practice crucifixion per se. If someone committed a, a crime and were sentenced to death, they were stoned and then they were taken outside the community or the camp or the area where people lived and they were hung on a pole or on a tree. 
The curse was a sign of being hanged. It wasn't that hanging brought a curse. The curse was a sign of, of being hanged. It was like saying he has experienced the ultimate in uh, separation, in being cut off. He's accursed of God. And so Jesus' execution on a tree was a testimony. It was a visual graphic testimony of his being rejected and cursed by God. Go back to what I mentioned earlier, the covenant relationship. A curse meant separation. Blessing meant closeness. That's, that, that's, that's an easy way to remember that. That's an easy way to think about that. But not only that, Paul says, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Literally, what he's saying there is in our place, on our behalf. Did, did you hear that? Christ be, became a curse in our place. That is, the curse is on us, and he lifted it off and took it on, put it on himself. Jesus received the curse that belongs to you and I so that you and I might receive the inheritance of blessing that is his. Now, please, make sure you get this. If nothing else, make sure you get this. There's two things going on when we talk about the cross of Christ. Number one, Jesus gets the sin and curse that are ours. If we place our faith in Him, He gets the sin and curse that are ours. We get the righteousness and blessing that are His. So what Paul is saying here is if Jesus became a curse and was counted as a sinner, then you and I, if our faith is in Him, are counted as righteous and blessed and beautiful. That's why he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no curse for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's be clear. If Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law only for the purpose of forgiveness of sins or only to give us a clean slate, then the burden to obey and make the grade is still on our shoulders. I mean, it's like we've been given a pass. Now I've got a clean slate. So I... The responsibility, the burden's on me to rewrite the slate. But the good news is he didn't. He was counted as cursed so that you and I might be counted as blessing. He didn't just wipe our slate clean. He gave us a new slate. With somebody else's name on it. With somebody else's record on it. Now, consider the analogy of redemption that I talked about a minute ago. You and I are prisoners to sin and guilt and shame. Okay, We are prisoners of war. A war that is going on between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Jesus, who becomes one of us, who becomes a fellow citizen, redeems us, makes a payment of His own life so that you and I might be returned to our native land, our home. What is that? Our home, what we were meant for. Closeness, blessing, intimacy with God. That's what you and I get. So the results, Paul says in verse 14, of Christ being made a curse in our place are the blessing of Abraham. Verse 14. In Christ Jesus, He redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is the blessing of Abraham? If you go back up, if you if you have a Bible uh, to verses seven of Galatians three, it's very clear what the blessing of Abraham is. 
Know then, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. It is only those who live by faith and not by works who are sons and daughters of Abraham. And they receive blessing as a result. That is... Because of their faith in Jesus, the seed of Abraham, that's that's you and I, if our faith is in him, they experience an intimacy and a closeness with God himself. So simply put, the blessing of Abraham comes through faith. What makes God's covenant with Abraham so amazing is that there are no conditions. It's all of grace. God says, I will do this. I swear to it. And then he passes between the pieces as they cut the covenant. And Abraham doesn't pass between the pieces. God says, I'm going to do this. Even if you don't, I still am. I'm going to keep your end for you. Paul says Jesus became a curse so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Remember his words, in you or through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here's the flow of of thought. If you or I are a son of Abraham, or a daughter, then you have received the blessing of faith in Jesus. And if you have received this blessing, then through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We are now part of that family. So this verse now describes us. If we really believe this blessing brings life, if we really believe it redeems us from death to life, then why wouldn't we want to give it away? Why would we want to keep it? As the offspring of Abraham, Jesus fulfills the promise of God to Abraham's family. He opens the way of faith to the Gentiles, which unless you have a Jewish heritage in this room, that's you and I, by the way. You and I are Gentiles. And by faith, you and I get to become sons and daughters of Abraham. Jesus opens the way of faith to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation on the earth. Remember the assurance of pardon. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But not only do we receive the blessing of Abraham, we receive the promised spirit. In Christ Jesus, we receive the promised spirit through faith, Paul says. If you weren't here last week, Drew talked about the spiritual dynamite that Jesus has sent to us. And I want to quote him directly from last week. The one who spoke stars into existence lives in you if your faith is in Jesus. And then he said, holy cow. That's a direct quote. Does your life explain that reality? Does your life explain that reality? Through faith, we receive the Spirit who is the fullest expression of God's inheritance that He promised to Abraham. The Spirit at work within us should be moving us toward obedience. It should be changing us. And we should be changing the world as a result. Through the Spirit, all brokenness will be healed. Marriages, families, neighborhoods, communities. I mean, this is good news, isn't it? I mean, if you're saying this, if you're speaking about this, if, if this reality is flowing out of your life, are people, don't you think people are going to see that? The only way we will take the blessing of Abraham to the nations 
is if we trust in and rely on the Holy Spirit working through us. That's why the spiritual dynamite, the explosion that has taken place in our lives, if our faith is in Jesus, is so crucial to get and understand and tap into. You and I are a people of humility because all we have received has been given to us. Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live, here it is, by faith in the Son of God. We also, however, are a people of extraordinary confidence because we have the presence and power of the One who rules the universe in us. We have been taken from curse to blessing. And so my prayer for us is that we may be emboldened to point others to the Savior so that they might move from condemnation to blessing as well. That we would be the conduits, if you will, as Abraham was promised by God that his family would be, that we would be conduits of blessing to Winterhaven and from here to the world for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe and wonder that you were made a curse. That you became a curse in our place. Uh, and that you have taken our sin and shame upon you and have given us your righteousness and your beauty and your glory. Forgive us for all the many ways in which we have sought to define our lives to live by the law and by the things that we have set up to make us feel better about ourselves and about our so-called obedience. I pray that You would make the law bigger to us, more powerful to us, so that we see we can't possibly keep it. And that we would live by faith. That we would live by faith in the One who willingly took upon Himself our sin, our shame, our rebellion, made it His own, that, we, that He might be able to give us His righteousness, His record, His perfection, His glory, His beauty. And the list goes on. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We pray in His name. Amen. Uh, love so amazing, so divine, uh, does demand our soul, our, our life. It demands everything. Um, if, if your hope and your faith is in Jesus, uh, then obedience is not optional. But obedience is a, not a burdensome thing. Uh, if, if He would do this for us, what wouldn't we want to do uh, for a King, for a Savior like that? So if your hope is in Him, receive this, this good word, this blessing as you go uh, today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace now and forevermore. Amen. Go in His peace.